What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. So, hey, good morning, family. How we doing? Good, good. It's good to see you guys. Good to be here this morning. Uh, and uh, once again, I'm, I'm Bill Rodriguez. I'm stepping in, me and Chris, alternating this uh, this series. So it's been good. It's been good for, I don't know if you guys understand the, the schedule that Pastor Chris keeps with uh, here and with Urban Youth Impact, but it is strenuous. So um, I am glad to be able to help step in and, and help him with that. Hopefully um, it's been good for you guys. If not, you know, hey, just let him know and he can demote me back to the front row. Um, no, no, no harm done. Um, but no, I appreciate you guys and I appreciate being here this morning. Uh, we have been going through the book of Second Timothy, if you've been with us. I want to encourage you guys, if you haven't gotten it, there's on the back table right in front of the sound booth, there is a, a Second Timothy uh, kind of schedule, and that's the, the schedule that we're, we're keeping on. We've done good, Chris. We've done good staying on schedule um, of what's been written on the paper. Sometimes that doesn't always happen because sometimes we get a little, you know, uh, passionate. But uh, our sound man, Will, told me that they bought new batteries that are rechargeable. They only last 45 minutes. So, Chris... Um, <laughs> I don't know what they're saying, buddy, for us, but uh, I'm just kidding. Um, but on that, back, on that back table, there is a sheet that lines out what we're going to be going through. And the purpose of that is this, is that hopefully you'll take that. And so for next week, you'll be reading ahead to the rest of uh, chapter three that we don't cover today so that it's not the first time that you're hearing it on Sunday morning that you've had time to read through it, you've had time to journal through it, you've had time to get somewhat of an understanding, but you've also had time for the Spirit to kind of work and speak to you on it, so that when you come in here, right, um, it's, it, it, it just resonates with what you've already been going through. Um, it's helpful, right? Because we all know, uh, Ness was joking about the buffet, you can go to a buffet today after church, but by tonight you're probably going to be hungry, at least tomorrow morning you're going to be hungry again, Right? If you just come on Sunday morning to feast, but you're not hitting it every single day, you're going to get hungry during the week, and those temptations are going to come, right? And if you ain't, if you're not eating every day, all right, so I just want to put that out there for you guys. Read, you know, read ahead, journal through it uh, so that you can be right there with us. Um, Last week, Pastor Chris talked about an app. It's called Dwell. Um, We're not a paid you know, we're not getting paid to, to boost them, um, nothing like that. But it is a great app uh, if you want to be able to listen to the Bible. Um, I have the Version app. It's a great app. I love it. It has plans, everything. But if you close out your phone, then you no longer get to continually hear the Bible, right? So once you close it out, like it stops. But the Dwell app, like while I'm working out, I can put on this. 2 Timothy 3, and I can just keep listening to it, even if my phone is not, not on, if it's, if it's closed or if it's locked. So um, just a resource to throw out there for you guys uh, among the many resources uh, that we have. So uh, we're going to get right into it. We're going to start uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. So if you guys don't mind standing up with me, uh, if you have the ESV version, you can read along with me. If you don't, let's uh, just hold to yourself uh, so we don't... Don't mess up everybody. Um, So 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1. But understand this, 
that in the last days there will be come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was of those two men. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Um, Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your love for us. God, may we receive your word today with an open heart. God, may we receive whatever challenge that you bring us and whatever encouragement that you bring us through your word. God, may you lead us into obedience and into action uh, as we leave this place. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so a little background, if you haven't been with us, um, but if you have, just a reminder, Paul in jail, um, awaiting his execution, is writing to Timothy, not his biological son, but his son through discipleship. He has poured his life into to Timothy, and he looks at him uh, as a son. Timothy is the pastor at the church in Ephesus, and so Paul is writing this last letter, um, his last words, his, his last goodbye Um, to Timothy, and he's encouraging and challenging him in this position that he's in of leadership in the church. And so we've got to, as we walk in this book, and definitely as we walk into this passage, we've got to understand who we are in Christ. Now, Pastor Chris did a a great job last week. He broke us back into Ephesians chapter 1, and I just wanted to go over that real quick because I feel like it's important for us to understand who we are in Christ as we walk into this Uh, passage. So Ephesians 1 talked about how we are blessed with every spiritual blessing, right? We are chosen by God, adopted into his family, we're redeemed, and we're forgiven. We are lavished in his grace, and he made known the mystery of his will. We obtained an inheritance, and we're also sealed with the Holy Spirit. So whenever you are discouraged whenever you're not feeling like you're enough, whenever you're maybe weighed down by some of the things of this world, maybe you're frustrated by things in your life, maybe you're discouraged in your faith, you need to go back to this chapter and continue to reread that and remind yourself of who you are in Christ, the things that he has done for you, that he has chosen you, the things that he has blessed us with and given us so that we are set up for what he's called us to do. Continue to go back to that as an encouragement As we walk through this, because this text that we're about to go through is not easy. So my wife, she's not here today, um, but her main criticism for me after my messages is one, I don't smile enough. And two, I'm way too serious. So I have written that on my paper multiple times. So if you see me stop and smile, I'm reminding myself because usually 
she's in the front row and she'll be looking at me and she'll make eye contact and she'll smile like, hey, you need to smile because if not, you're just so serious that sometimes people just, you know, kind of tune that out. But it is a serious topic that I hope we can walk through um, and understand, but also be encouraged through of what God is pushing us towards. So verse one says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Those words, last days, I mean, you think about Paul, he is living his last days, right? His last days on earth. He knows that the execution is coming, right? And his last days are here. And with his last days, his last breath, his last stroke of his pen, he's encouraging and challenging Timothy in his leadership position within the church. And he's telling him that you got to understand that that, that this is coming, the last days, and we hear that throughout Scripture, that terminology, last days. And it's, a lot of times we don't like to hear that. We don't like to, to receive last days because we, as a people, struggle, right, to think about death, to think about life being over, to think about, right, eternity. Um, and so what does that mean? A lot of scholars believe that last days refers to any time after Jesus ascended into heaven. So anytime after Jesus ascended into heaven, that terminology can be used to talk about last days. Because it can be confusing, right? Because Paul is telling Timothy it's the last days, but we're still here hundreds of years later, right? So it can be a little bit confusing. So um, sometimes our minds struggle to comprehend because we think of time in a certain way. But God looks at time in a completely different way, all right? So, so help that, hope that under, helps you understand it as you walk through this and try to understand it. In the last days, the, the word talks about how there's going to be a lot of deception, right? And people are going to be deceived, not only outside of the church, but within the church. Um, we talk about Mark of the Beast and, you know, all these things. And we start to see how technology, right, can start to, to, to work these out. Whereas maybe 30 years ago, those things didn't seem possible. But now with technology, with microchips, right, you can be tracked, right, with your phone, you can pay for things now. You don't even have to have a credit card anymore. Like where we're going to with technology, right? If you ever, you know, if you grew up in church and watched the, the old um, like Left Behind series or, or even older than that, right? Like the mark of the beast is like this tattoo on your head or whatever. And like sometimes that's what we look for. But understand like with this right here, they can track everything that I do everything. I was talking with my in-laws. They stayed with us uh, this summer. Um, and I was telling them how like me and Sarah can have a conversation about something. And then you get on social media and an ad for that same thing will pop up, right? Yes. It's crazy, right? My wife can be searching for something on her computer. This happened to us. She was searching for vacation places. And all of a sudden I'm on my computer scrolling through Facebook and that same Resort is popping up. I'm like, why is this popping up? They know. They can track, right? And so understand, like, these times are coming, and he's trying to, to warn him about what's to come. Mark 13, 32 says this, But concerning the day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And so it's understanding that he's saying these last days are, are coming, but nobody knows when. We don't know when. You can read throughout Scripture, and you're not going to find a date or time. You add these numbers. This, we've seen people that have tried to do that, okay? We've seen people that have come out 
to the media and, and try to predict when Jesus was coming back, when the world was going to end, all these different things. And they continue to be proven wrong. Why? Because God says nobody knows the time or the place. 1 Timothy 4.1 says this. says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. And then Matthew 24, 3 uh, through 14 says this. It says, As he, Jesus, sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the age to come? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And so even as you read through that, Jesus is trying to tell them. And one of the, the main things that he says throughout is people will be led astray. People will be led astray. People will be led astray by false teachers, false prophets, false teachings, right? We see that in our world today, that people are being led astray by all these false teachings and false um, things that are out there, right? Because we live in a world right now where information and things can get out to anywhere, right? You can send something from your phone right now to any country in the world, right? These messages, these teachings of false doctrine are getting out there and leading people astray. But what does it say at the end? It says, but one who endures to the end will be saved and the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. As we start to think about the last days, you can look at it two ways. You can be depressed and upset and thinking about this life being over and you can, you know, hide in in your room and just read your Bible and pray. Or you can understand that Jesus said these times are going to come and they're going to continue to come and there's nothing that you can do about it. Paul says, so understand this, these times are going to come. But what is our responsibility as believers in these times? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to walk in a world, right, that's falling apart around us? So that's what we're going to get into as we continue to go in. And then he says, at the end, he says, there's going to be times of difficulty. So what does this look for? look like for us as believers, times of difficulty, right? What is that, what is that going to look like? Because we do see times of difficulty uh, for believers in other parts of the world who struggle, right? Because they can't openly worship God and they've got to have underground churches and things like that. And that's always a, 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 you know, a huge example that, that pastors and preachers bring up, right? But we understand that that's coming to us as a, as a nation, right? That there's coming a time where we're not going to be so be able to be so open about our faith and about what we talk about. And that 
saying things that we believe from the Bible is going to come with consequences from our government and our law system because they are no longer going to allow us to say what we want to say because it's hate speech, because it infringes on somebody else's rights, all these things. We see that coming. We see that even with no matter how you feel about COVID, right, and how you feel about the vaccination, right, we are seeing our government become more forceful about making people take this vaccination, right? And like I said, I'm not here to point out whether you're for it or against it. That's not what I'm saying. But we see that what's coming, right? They're starting to push, right, mandate things that we have to do. And it's not going to be long before they start mandating things from us as a church that we can no longer say this or do this um, without facing consequences. It's just going to continue to get worse, both outside the church and inside the church walls, right? Difficulty, struggle. Um, we see that. Pastor Chris sent me an article this week about um, how if you don't believe in evolution, that that's considered white supremacy, right? Um, it's ways of people being able to take what we believe as believers and spin it to what's popular in culture, so then it looks like we are on the wrong, right? Although we've been speaking out against the same things for so long, now it's bringing to attention these certain things. Understand we've got difficult times ahead of us, and that's okay. Don't look at it as a bad thing, right? Difficult times are coming, but God wants to prepare you for that. Paul wants to prepare Timothy. Timothy, I can't save you from the tough times. They're coming. But what I can do is I can prepare you the best that I can so that you can walk in it, right? Understanding difficult times, right? I'm a Washington football team fan, so I understand difficult times, bro. We don't even have a team name right now, okay? My kids have grown up in an era of that team of not much to cheer for, right? I understand difficulty, but, right? That's a joke, but we understand, like, there's, there's stuff coming that we've never seen before, and especially within the American church. And we've really got to decide if this thing is really for us or not. Do we really believe it or not? Because when the pressure's on and things start coming at us, are we going to live it out? And so then in verse 2, he says, For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, and unholy. So at first look, when you read through this passage, it can be very easy to say, oh, this passage is talking about our world. Our world is falling apart. People in the world are such heathens. They, they this and that. They're so terrible, right? And we start pointing out, if only this, if only we would have kept God in school, if only this, only that, right? We can point out all these things. But I want you to understand as we read through this passage that it's not just talking about the world, but that it's also talking about the church, because remember who Paul is talking to. He's talking to Timothy, who is a pastor of a church, and he's warning him about the things to come, that these things are not only outside of the church, but they're also creeping into the church. And we've got to be very careful. We've got to be watchful. We've got to be on guard about these things that are coming in, right? Lovers of self, lovers of money, right? If we read through that list and we're really honest, yeah, that's me. One of those is me. One of those is me, right? If we really want to be honest with ourselves, I have struggled in the past of being a lover of money, and that doesn't really sound 
uh, correct because I've lived a life in ministry where I've had a lot, not a lot of money. But there were times in my ministry that I was so frustrated and bitter because I felt like I wasn't getting paid what I deserved, right? And I'm like, dang, God, I understand sacrifice, but man, I can't do anything. He provided everything I needed. He didn't provide everything I wanted. But I got caught up in this worldly idea that I deserve this, that I deserve this. Why should I have to drive this when they get to drive that? Right. Why do they get to go on vacation here and I got to go on vacation here? Right. It's so easy to step into that. So be careful about just looking at this as the world. Right. It's really easy to point our finger at the world and people that don't know God. But be careful because I feel like a lot of these can point back to us as well. Right. Proud, arrogant. Right. How many times have I been proud? Have I been arrogant about anything in my life? Right. Sometimes as a speaker, it's hard because it's like I come off stage and like people will be like, oh, great message, great message. And I've struggled for so long, like what to say and not to be proud. Right. And not to judge whether the message went out depending on how many people came up to me afterwards and said, oh, great job, great job, right? Because it's understanding, like, God didn't put me up here so I can get a great job and a pat on the back. He put me up here so that I can speak the word, right, to you guys and, and challenge and encourage you through the word. So sometimes it can be hard not to get proud or not to get arrogant or be like, oh, I can speak better than that person, or, oh, man, you know, uh, I don't know why they put that person in that position. I could do that better. So be careful not to look at this passage as just pointing out the things that are going wrong in the world as a whole. And so I want to try to, as we go through it, look at it from the world's perspective and church perspective. So from the world, right, lovers of self, right, they love everything. Like, they love money, they love this, they love that. They don't necessarily love God, right, because they have everything else that they want. They chase after all these other things, and they don't need God in their life. Philippians 2.21 says, For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. We understand as believers, or at least we should, that when we gave our life to Christ, we died. And we were risen again, right? It's a new life. All that old stuff's gone. All my wants and desires and everything else, that stuff got buried. And when I came back up, it's a new perspective. It's what, Christ, what do you want to do in me? Right? Where do you want to take me? What do you want me to do? Not about me anymore. But in the world, they don't understand that because they just go after their own. They just go after what they want. Luke 16, 13 and 14 says this. It says, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one. And despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things and they ridiculed him. Right? How often when you speak out about something that somebody's involved in, they want to talk bad about it, right? Right? The Pharisees got upset because they've achieved this status and they're getting money and power and position, right? They don't want to hear Jesus speaking out against that stuff because that's what they've been chasing. Right? Just like other people don't necessarily want to hear it when you call out their sins or call out things that they're going after. But that's the people that we have to be. So when you think about it from the church side, in 1 Timothy 
chapter 3, talking about qualifications of an elder, it says this. It says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he, must, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. Quarrelsome, y'all remember that from last week? Pastor Chris talked about that. And not a lover of money. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through the cravings that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. We've got to be, be careful, right? Because what we see the world chasing after money might not see the same within the church, right? But we've got to be careful because these same things have crept into the church, right? And the enemy is good at what he does. It's not blatantly obvious. It's small compromises here and there that he uses to pull you away. We've got to be able to understand that we can be pulled into these same things and we can allow these things to come into the church if we're not careful. So in verse 4, he's continuing to go through this list. And like I said, in verses 2 through 4, every single one of us could go through that list and find something that we've struggled with or maybe we're still continuing to struggle with at, at times. Verse 4, he talks about being treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. And then he says, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And so when I read through that, over and over this week, I'm thinking through how does that relate to, to not only the world, but to the church. We understand in the world, right, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. But why would Paul say that in, in this passage? Because the world is only going to chase after worldly things. Why would they chase after godly things? They're not living godly, right? And unless the Spirit of God comes to them, they're not only going to chase after the, what they know in this world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Do whatever makes you feel good, right? It's such a struggle to raise my two kids in a world and in a society that has that mentality. Do whatever makes you feel good. Try whatever you want. I grew up in Maryland, very liberal state. And they're at the point now where they're introducing all these things to kids in, in the fifth grade for sex education that doesn't need to be there, that kids don't need to know about. But their, their uh, I guess their argument is, you know, well, do whatever makes you feel good. Experiment. Try it out or you'll never know. Right? Try being homosexual. Try this. Try that. Just so you know, right, as if it's a natural part of life. This is the world that we live in. Do whatever makes you feel good. But the problem is the world is doing all these things that make them feel good, but it only makes them feel good for a little bit. But when they lay their head on the pillow at night, they still have that same emptiness inside. So church, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility. And then within the church, we've got to be careful not to let this in. But you know what? I've seen this in the church. I've seen a pleasure, right? And sometimes that word pleasure, 
I don't know about you, but in a lot of the teachings that I've heard, it always leads to something sexual. I'm not talking about that right now necessarily. Like pleasures of life can be a lot of different things, right? But what I've seen in the church is that sometimes church leaders and church people have a pleasure of being a part of the church, but there's no pleasure for God. And what I mean by that is they, they love church they love the structure of church. They love the events of church. They love the systems of church, but they leave God out of it. They're not chasing church because there's a pleasure after God. They're chasing church because there's a pleasure in their own career and, and, and boosting themselves up. Or they treat it like a business, right? You can take a good business leader and bring them into the church, and they will understand how to put people in the seats because they know how to advertise. They know how to incentivize. They know how to get people in the doors, right? We've got to be careful with that within the church of people who are in the church and leading things in the church, but they're not leading it because of the pleasures of God. They're leading it for their own pleasure, for their own recognition, for their own boosting up. So we've got to be careful as a church. Some of that stuff's already in the church, and I'm not saying that here. I'm not here to call people out in the church, but if we're not careful, we're not mindful, we're not watchful, if we're not correctly, correctly handling God's word and understanding God's word, then this stuff creeps in. And we're not on alert, we're not on guard, and it comes through the doors, and it starts to infiltrate. Last week, Chris, Pastor Chris talked about quarrelsome and what that means, and, and if you let that in the church, it becomes like gangrene, it's like a disease, it's like cancer. It starts eating away, Right? It starts infecting the whole body. Verse 5, he says, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. So the appearance of godliness in the world, right, they don't see godliness like we see it. There's terminology, my, my, my kids watch a lot of, you know, whether YouTube or what, but, you know, oh my gosh, he's a god, he's a god. Right? They can be talking about a basketball player, an entertainer, whatever. Oh, man, he's a god. And I heard my kid say that one time. Boy, I snatched him up. I'm like, you don't ever say that to anybody. Nobody in this world is a god. But that's the way that the world sees it. If you're good at something, if you're popular, if you're rich, if you're successful, you're a god. And they even look at it as I can be my own god. I don't need god when I am god. Right? That's the things that are outside of these doors, but that's the things that are creeping within these, right? Because even us in the church, we might look to leadership in the church because they're this, because they're that, right? We might watch another pastor online because his church is huge, because of this, you know, whatever the circumstances. We've got to be careful about not allowing the thoughts and the mindsets of the world to infiltrate the church and then affect how we move and how we work and the things that we do. And as far as for the, the, the church side of that, Matthew 7, 15 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. We've got to beware. We've got to, one, understand God's word. Right? You guys should understand God's word enough so that as I'm talking this morning, if anything that I say is out of place after the service, instead of coming up to me and just trying to boost my own ego up and saying, Great job, Pastor, you should say, Hey, you said this, that was a little off, man. We, gotta, we need to talk about that. It all starts with understanding God's word. Without understanding God's word, we'll never be able to 
walk in this. We'll never be able to understand the end times. We'll never be able to understand and see when things from the world come in and creep in. These small ideologies that start to permeate the church and start to pull us away from the truth. We're all good. Well, I don't want to say we're all good. That's a very generalized statement. Sorry. People are good, and I've, I'm guilty of it in my own life, of playing church. We come in. We know the right face to put on. We know the right words to say. We know the right things to get involved in so that people don't ask us more deeper questions and get into the real junk of our life, right? We know how to keep people at bay. How are you doing? Oh, I'm great. Had a great week. And most people can just walk along and keep moving and never dig any deeper than that. We're good at that. We're good at sometimes appearing godly, like we got it all together when we don't. And it's easy for us to point it out in people outside of these walls, but we've got to be able to look within. I want somebody that's going to challenge me that when I say, oh, I'm great. I've said it three weeks in a row, the same answer to you. Oh, everything's great. Everything's great. They're going to say, man, come on. Is everything really great? Because if you've had three great weeks in a row, you're like amazing, bro. And you probably should play the lottery right now because like you're like the luckiest man in the world, right? I want somebody that's going to ask a couple more questions. Well, what was so great about your week? How's your wife doing? How's your kids doing? How's your, your, your personal time with God going? right? Those are the things that we have to understand and work towards because we're family, right? We're family and we've got to treat each other like family. And when somebody starts to kind of get off course, we've got to be willing to reach over and say, hey, man, I saw you post something the other day. And I don't know if you meant it this way, but it's kind of how I took it. So I just wanted to check in with you and just make sure like nothing crazy was going on, right? I just want to make sure we've got to be able to hold each other accountable to that. And then the second part of that verse, he talks about not only appearing the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And so in the world, denying God's power, the Bible's not true. They explain everything away. Oh, it was science. It was the medicine. It was the doctors that saved his life. It wasn't God. It wasn't this. Oh, God didn't create the world. It happened this way. Oh, these are so-and-so, you know, they find any way they can explain away the things of God. That there's, oh, Christianity, yeah, it's just another one of the religions. There's, you know, all the religions are the same. Everything is the same. That's what, how the world sees it, right? And within the church, not truly believing God's word is denying the power that God has. How many of y'all have read something in the Bible and struggled to, to believe it? Struggled to believe that it was true, right? How many of you prayed a prayer and you walked away doubting that what you prayed for would actually come true? I know I have. That's something that I've really struggled with in my life. Because when I was in eighth grade, or even before that, Sixth through eighth grade, every single day, praying that my dad would be healed from cancer and he died. To me, God had no power. Because all the church people that I knew told me that if I pray, God will heal, right? If I pray, God will heal. And I prayed, 
And I prayed and I prayed and I cried and I cried and I prayed and I cried and he still died. So for me, there was no power. This God that I learned about, there was no power because he didn't answer my prayer the way that I wanted it to be answered. And I struggled with that. And God opened my heart to receive an answer from him about why. A lot of times we pray our will. The Bible says his will, but we pray our will. And then we get mad when it doesn't happen. I was upset because God didn't answer the prayer the way that I wanted it answered. But it wasn't until years later that God really connected with me to say, This was the only way that I could get your life on track. This was the only way that I knew that if this event happened in your life, that you would now take your faith serious. And there were places I wanted to take you, but on your own, you couldn't get there. There were people I wanted you to speak to and bring my word to, but you would have never gotten there. And this is what I needed to do in your life to get you on track. I did answer your prayer. I healed your father in the best way possible. I brought him home. Now, if you could talk to my dad today, he wouldn't switch. (laughs) He wouldn't go back and change anything. Right? But for my life, I struggle. And sometimes I still struggle praying as if I'm going to pray for somebody And they're not going to be healed. Or I'm going to pray for something and the outcome that we're looking for isn't going to happen. But I have to continually remind myself, when I do that, I deny God's power. My prayer is out of obedience, God, your will be done. And then I allow him to take it from there. Because I can't answer that prayer on my own anyway. And then the last part of that verse talks about avoid such people. This is just a, an example for me of, of how, you know, this passage is not only talking about people in the world, but it's also talking about the church. Because why would he tell Timothy to avoid such people if it didn't have context for him in, in this setting? So um, not only does it, you know, when we're talking about last days, it shows that it is current for him in this time because Paul is telling him, hey, he's not saying down the road, somebody's going to have to avoid these people. He's saying to, to Timothy right here, you're going to have to avoid some of these people, right? People that, that act a certain way, right, but are far from God. People that are very negative, right? You ever been around people that are negative, just kind of suck the energy and the life out of you, but also people within the church that are negative, that every time you try to progress or do something different, right, They're always the ones to pull back and be like, oh, no, no, I don't think that's going to work. No, I just don't know if that's the way to go. No, we tried that 10 years ago and it didn't work. I was in a church like that. And we would have these staff meetings and we would come in and we would brainstorm and strategize and come up with a plan. And then our pastor would be like, no, I just don't think that's going to work. No, I just don't know that that's going to be the right way to go. You know? And so as a staff, what do you do? You get tired of that. You get tired of not being able to progress and move forward and feel like you can 
be obedient and follow through what God's put on your heart. It stifles that growth, and we don't want to be that as a body. I remember growing up, there was a guy in my church, and uh, he was a deacon, and he would wait for me, like the, the, the door would be right here. He literally would wait for one step to come in the door. Like, Take your hat off. Take your hat off. This is the house of God. Take your hat off. Like, wait for me. Like, I felt like every Sunday, his whole purpose was to wait for me to, to step inside the door and tell me to take my hat off, right? And I respected it. I did what he asked me to do, right? I didn't agree with it. He didn't explain it to me. He didn't give me any background. He just yelled at me, take your hat off. This is the house of God. Take your hat off. Okay, whatever, man. It's people like that that can creep into the church, right, with their legalistic mindsets. Well, not to put him out there, but years later after I had left the church, I found out that he was having an affair with his wife, and he ended up leaving his wife and marrying this lady he had an affair with and completely abandoning his family. So as a young kid, if I would have looked up to him as a spiritual leader in the church, as a, as a deacon, right, how quickly I could have been led astray because he was appearing godly, yet he was denying God's power, right? But he was trying to act like he was this spiritual authority in my life. So we've got to be careful, right? And it continues to come back to understanding and knowing God's word. If I would have known God's word better, I could have sat down with him and said, hey, man, why are you always telling me to take my hat off? Let's, let's go to the word. Can you show me where that's at? Can you explain that to me why this is an important thing? right? As a young kid who doesn't know a lot, right? Explain it to me. If you explain it to me, I'll better understand it. But don't just tell me that and point it out. Verse 6, he says, for among them, right, people who appear godly but deny God's power, tells them to avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions. There's two things wrong in this verse. One is that when, you know, we, we have to be careful within the church to be trained to recognize false teachers when they come in. To recognize when an idea comes in or somebody who comes in, right, and doesn't believe what we believe based on the Bible. They have beliefs based on a lot of different things. We've got to understand and be able to recognize that. And it's not because we don't want people like that in our church, but it's so that we have our radar up to understand, hey, this guy, man, his, his doctrine, his theology is a little bit off. Um, we need to come alongside of him, better understand where he's coming from, and maybe help direct him to, um, to God's word and to the truth, right? But this is why it was able to happen, because the church wasn't on guard, and people were coming into the church and picking off these ladies because they were... They were weak. They were, you know, in, in this culture, women didn't have, you know, a lot of opportunities. And, and in society and culture, they weren't really raised up. They were lower. And then if they struggled with certain sins, they would probably just continue to be cast down. And then this knight in shining armor comes in with all the right language, right? All the right things to say and scoop them up. So one, we've got to recognize false teachers, but two, Everybody in here has a responsibility of protecting the family, right? If somebody today outside came up and started harming one of your family members, nobody in here would have to tell you to jump in and, and get in, involved in it, 
But how come when our family, right, is struggling with a sin issue or struggling with something, we're not always so quick to jump in and lend a hand. And sometimes within the church, we can be quicker to point fingers and cast blame. We are a family. We've got to protect this family. When we see people straying away or we see people pulling them away, we've got to step in as if it was our own. From the time my little kids could walk, I told them, don't, when we're in a store, don't ever, ever, ever walk away from me. Because in five seconds, somebody can snatch you up and you're gone and there will be nothing that I could do. You stay with me everywhere we go. And guaranteed, if somebody did try to snatch my kids, I'm going to be like Paul writing from a jail cell. All right? Because that, that's not going to happen. We have to look at it the same way. The enemy, right, is even more destructive when he pulls believers away. And what did, what was the common theme throughout? Led astray, led astray, led astray, led astray. If a shepherd doesn't watch his flock, they can be led astray quickly. We've got to watch over each other. And when somebody starts to get pulled away, we've got to be willing to go in there and fight for them and bring them back into the family. Verse 7 says, always, these same people are always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Right? Like the Pharisees. They studied the scriptures over and over again. They knew them. They memorized them. Right? But they never arrived at the truth. They missed it every single time. Every single time. So then knowledge, without understanding of it, is just information. If you have knowledge, but you don't understand it, it's just information. Right? If I have a book on how to build an airplane, but I have no understanding of how engines and machines and all that stuff work together... That's just information, because that information is never going to lead to a product unless I understand it, unless I could bring somebody alongside me that understands the inner workings of that, right? If you've ever been to Ikea, you understand that, because you can have all the instructions in the world for some of their stuff, and you still ain't going to get it put together, okay? <laughs> ain't going to happen. We had this huge thing that my wife wanted, start putting it together. And if you don't know Ikea stuff, it can be a little bit flimsy until it gets all the way together, right? So I got like the outer walls, right, put together. Everything is good. And then middle of the instructions, it's like flip the whole joint over. I'm like, what the heck? (laughs) Flip the whole thing over. I'm like, so you had me put it all together upside down this whole time just to flip it over in the middle. Anyway, sorry, I got off. That's That's not in my notes. Sorry about that. Um. James 1, 22 through 24 says this, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. Hopefully this morning you at least checked out a mirror somewhere, okay, before you rolled up in here, okay? I hope. Now, I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm saying that to you. 
it's kind of like one of those things as a parent, like say what I do, not what, do what I do, not what I say, right? I, I, I didn't look at the mirror this morning because my wife was still asleep, all right? I didn't want to wake her up. I already had everything laid out. I took a shower last night. I don't have any hair to worry about, all right? It's clean, all right? Some people think, you know, why do you do that? Because it's so easy in the morning. I don't have to do anything, okay? Side note, sorry. If you look at the mirror and you saw you had toothpaste on your lip, right, or your hair is all crazy, right, or whatever, you had a stain on your shirt, hopefully you would do something about it. But how often do we come in here on a Sunday morning and we hear God's word? Mm, that's a good message. Man, that hits me right where I'm at. Man, I really feel challenged. Uh, you might even tell Pastor Chris, man, great message. You really challenged me. And you walk out of these doors and you're thinking about it all the way to the car. Like, man, I really got to change some things. I really got to, you know, man, that message was so good. And then you get in the car and you turn the car on. And if you have a family, you're like, oh, what's for lunch? Or if you're not, you don't have a family, you turn the radio on, right? And then the message is gone and you don't think about it, right? We've got to take what we learn and apply it to our lives and allow it to change. But too often we look at the mirror, we see imperfections, we see where we're not lining up with the word, and then we walk away from the mirror and we forget about it. We seek to understand, but we're seeking. We've got to seek from the right source. Right? We've got to understand what God is telling us. What is he saying to me? That's why we give you time at the end of the service to reflect on that before you walk out, before you walk out and, and continue with the rest of the tasks and everything you got to do today. Hey, just take some, some time and meditate on this. Let it really sink in so that it can bring about change. Then verse 8, I apologize. I, I had made a note to tell you the names of these people before we read it out loud. I did a disservice to you. I apologize for that. Janice and Jambres. I heard when we got to that point, everybody was like, Jen, Jen, just kind of skipped over it, right? I apologize for that. That's, that's bad leadership on my part. Um, it says, just as Janice and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. These two, you won't find it in, in, in Scripture necessarily. Like, it's more of like as you read commentaries, you, learn, you hear of tradition, how this story was passed down, that these two were thought to be the two guys that when Moses went in front of Pharaoh um, and was, you know, all the plagues and everything, but when Moses, you know, threw his staff on the ground, it turned into a snake. These were the two guys, the magicians, the sorcerers that did the same, right? They tried to show Moses up. Right? They learned pretty quickly that our God is way more powerful, and they had to step out of the equation, but they tried to show that, no, nah, it's not so powerful. I could do that. I could do this, right? And so this word, disqualified, is also the same word that's used in Romans 1, 28. It's translated as debased. And so basically it comes from, from the Greek, Greek word that means useless, in the sense of being tested. So like a metal being tested for impurities, right? It's heated up and the impurities are drawn out so that we can get a pure metal. But basically what it's saying is that they tried that process and there was so much impurity in it, they just threw it to the side. It was useless, right? It was a waste. These guys who tried to oppose Moses, they tried to oppose the truth. They were corrupted in mind and they disqualified regarding the faith. When we talked about qualifications of a leader, 
And throughout Paul's letters, it talks about things that will disqualify us, right, from the faith and disqualify us from leadership. We don't want to be like these guys. We don't want to oppose the truth. We don't want to be the one opposing the things of God. We don't want to be the ones holding back and saying, no, that's not God, that's this. No, that's not God, that's that. That's what the world wants us. That's the the ideas of the world coming in and saying, no, that can't be God. That can't be this. It can't be that. And we've got to be careful with that. Paul is calling out people. If you haven't seen throughout the book of 2 Timothy and even some of his other letters, he calls people out. People that have walked away from the faith. People that, that are no longer trustworthy. People that have sold him out. He's calling them out. And so, church, I want you guys to to hear this with grace and love. We have to be willing to call out sin. And we have to be willing to be called out for sin. We have to be willing to reach out to the people in our family and say, hey, you can't be doing that. And it's not a judgmental, I'm better than you type attitude. It's, hey, man. We're a team. We're in this together. I can't do this without you. But you're you're sliding off here. These things aren't right. They don't match up with God's word. Hey, man, we got to get back on track. If I am proud, if I come across arrogant, if if I come off as somebody who loves myself or I, I come across as somebody who's a lover of money or any of these things listed in here, I would hope that somebody in this room would call me out. I would hope that if you have a conversation with me afterwards and I come across as arrogant, you would say, hey, man, you coming across kind of arrogant for that. Like, I think you need to tone that down, right? That's love. If my wife was here, I know she would do it because she loves me and she will call me out on everything. And that's love, right? Find somebody in your life that's willing to do that because I promise you she does it out of love because she hates to see me fall into these, these traps, right? We've got to be willing to call out people in their sin in a loving and caring way, right? Gentle, humble, but we also have to be willing to be called out for our own sin and understand that it should come out of an attitude of love. Because if we're not and we don't, then somebody we care about or ourselves included can be disqualified. And I don't ever want to be referred to as useless and thrown into the trash pile. So, we know that the end is coming. The last days are coming. We've just walked through all these character traits, right? And so what does that mean for us as believers? How do I work? How do I move? How do I operate now that I know this? Do I lock myself in, the, in my room and study my Bible more so that I can know it all? How do I operate? Well, like Pastor Chris has been talking about, we got to be soldiers prepared for battle instead of just continually getting picked off by the enemy. We've got to stay together, right, and not let those, what happens when people isolate, they get picked off easily. If you're in war as a soldier, you don't want, you don't want your, your, you know, people with you to, to, to wander on their own. You want to stay together as a group. You can watch each other's back, right? We've got to have unity, Right? There's too much fighting sometimes within the church. And because there's fighting in the church, we become just obsolete to the world outside of us. Completely irrelevant. Because why? Because the church looks at the outside world looks at the church as hypocrites. 
right? We say one thing and we do another. We say we love God and we love people and this and that, but we go out in the world and we act just like them. Why would they want to come into the church if we act the same way that they do outside of the church? We've got to get our house in order because the church should look different than the world. When they come in here, they should be treated differently than they get treated from the outside world. So what I want to challenge you with this is Colossians 3. It says this, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on this earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is yours, was your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, coveting, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self, with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there's not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Church, that's what he's calling us to do in this time of the last days. He's calling us as a church to take off all the things that the world has put on us, right? To get all of that junk out and then replace it with the things of God. And the most importantly is to walk in love. To walk in love here, but to walk in love when we leave this building. We have a responsibility. And instead of looking at it as it's the last days and it's coming to an end and our world is crazy and ridiculous and all this stuff and pointing the fingers, we as a church should look at it as if this is the greatest opportunity we have ever had to go out into this world and reach people for Jesus. That's our goal. That's how we move in this time. That's how we look at these end days, that the clock is running out, the time is up, and we've got to go. It's the fourth quarter, right? Time is running off the clock. And in the huddle, Jesus calls your play. It's time for you to go out and live the life that God has called you to live in the last days when the time is short and people need it the most. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our time this morning, and thank you so much for these words that are challenging to us, God. 
If we're all honest, we have some stuff in our life that we've got to get rid of. The church building, the church family shouldn't look like the outside world, God. When they come into this place, they should be treated differently than outside of this place, God. It all starts with understanding your word. We've got to understand your word, God, because it changes our lives. And because our lives are changed, we can then change others. God, when our life is changed and we understand your word, then we can be on alert and on guard. We can protect each other. But you can send us out into this world to be your light, to be your salt. So, God, may we go from here today not just challenged by your word, but obedient in it. May we walk in that this week, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.